Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are chapter 5 of the book of Exodus, um, the book of Shemot. We are part of the way through the Rashi's on verse number 7, if I'm not mistaken. I know we did some of the Rashi's, we didn't. Uh, finish the Rashi's. Let me read the verse to bring us into some rhythm. Verse seven. This is still in the middle of Pharaoh talking to Aaron and Moshe and basically saying, you want to ask me to make it easier on the Israelites? You know, I'll make the tourniquet even tighter. So he's continuing to indicate what his response, the response is, no, you can't go and worship your God. And also things are going to get worse, right? So um, Pharaoh had had commanded in the previous verse, the taskmasters and the supervisors saying, uh, verse seven, lo tosifun, let tate tevin la'am, don't continue to give straw to the people, lil bone halavinim, to brick the bricks, if we want to keep the verb and noun the same as it is in Hebrew, kitmol shilshom, literally, like yesterday and the day before, heim yelchu v'koshishulahem tevin, they will go and gather their own straw. Okay, so we did the Rashi um, on Tevin, and we got to the um, old French estuble, stubble, right? The Tevin is um, short little grains of of uh, straw that are either still connected to the ground or have already been cut, and they're supposed to go and gather that. Uh, and we also got the word levenim, which we translate as bricks, and we got another um, French word, tule which is most certainly tiles, right? T- you know, more, more, more that shape than our, our, um, our sense of what a brick is. And he gives us a little uh, explanation that they're made from mud and the, uh, or clay and the straw, and they are dried out in the sun. Sometimes you can um, heat them in a furnace. That's as far as we got. We did not get to Rashi on Kitmol Shilshom. Um, which does not in this verse refer to, as we joked last time, a cute coffee shop bookstore uh, near Ben Yehuda Street in Jerusalem, which I have memories of going way back to the 80s, although they're no longer in that location. Now, this is be an interesting thing to, it, it, it's, a, it's a very simple Rashi, but it's an interesting thing for people who speak modern idiomatic Hebrew, right? And also modern precise Hebrew. So the modern word for yesterday is etmol. It's like the word tmol, but with an olive in front of it. Etmol is yesterday. And the, the, in modern Hebrew, you can say the day before yesterday in one word, just like you can say the day after tomorrow in one word, right? Tomorrow is machar. The day after tomorrow is machrotayim. Like if you know the song, vim lo machar, vim lo machar, vim lo machar, as machrotayim. If we won't do all these things tomorrow, we'll do it the day after that. English does not have that word. I do not know nearly enough about other languages to know if it's common or uncommon for there to be a single word referring to the day after tomorrow or the day before yesterday, but in modern Hebrew, it is. How often is it used? Mostly poetically. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I spoke to an Israeli cousin and said, yeah, yeah shilshom haiti, haiti bashuk. Yet the day before yesterday, I would have the shuk, but maybe it's more common than I think. That's modern usage. So this is going to be an, 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 an unresolvable chicken and egg. So either that's what it meant then, too, which is why Rashi has to 
say what he's about to say to disabuse us of the notion of these words being something very specific, or we don't know exactly how it meant then, but by Rashi's time, it already meant Etmol was yesterday and Shoshom was the day before, and therefore he has to say it. Uh, it could be that in, the, in biblical times, we were not yet at the time where the word Etmol meant yesterday and Shoshom was the day before yesterday, and may have just been words referring to um, in um, imprecise notions of time past. And if that's the case, then Rashi's commentary is, is, is important for us because of how we use the word, um, but not necessarily would not necessarily have been challenging for people back then. So I've given you kind of a pre-interpretation of the Rashi before reading the Rashi. Now let's look at the Rashi on Kitmol. She'll show us the third Rashi out of four on verse seven. Uh, who did not read last week? Um, Rick, do you want to read uh, Kitmol Shilshom? Sure. Ka'asher heitem osim ad heina. So five pretty simple Hebrew words. We'll have to do the work to figure out, and I already sent some of it for you, how those words are a proper, a proper explanation of the words Kitmol Shilshom. So what do those Hebrew words mean, Rick? Well, the Silverman has a whole bunch of stuff. Um, means as you have been doing up till now in capital letters, not yesterday and the day before, as in the literal meaning, but merely formerly. Right. So forget, just before we get to the Silverman, just the translation, kasher means as or when, hayitem, osim, you were doing, right? And, you were uh, right, you up until been, now, up doing. until now. Uh-huh. Up until now, right? So what Rashi what Rashi doesn't say, which is what the Silverman um, and others fill in, is that he he doesn't say explicitly, this does not mean yesterday and the day before yesterday. By telling us it means kind of a more vague time, as you had been doing up until now, he's telling us it doesn't mean something like a specific two-day period, right? Which is what he thinks we would think it means because he thinks we know as he does that at means yesterday and shall show means the day before yesterday. Right? So it's no mystery in terms of what Rashi thinks the word means in the context. The mystery is when did the word at and shall become um, specific as opposed to idiomatic. What's interesting is that oftentimes it's the reverse. Oftentimes words had specificity back then and they become idiomatic over time. This may be an interesting reversal where it was once idiomatic, you know, referring to something as it had been, and then it kind of crystallized into a specific meaning where one of those words means yesterday, another one of those words means the day before yesterday, and we use other words to describe indefinite past. I don't know how to solve that, but there's something going on there in the evolution of this two-word phrase. Uh, Norm. I wonder if it maybe it had that same specific meaning back then, but Pharaoh is using it in a way that is idiomatic. If I um, talk about how, as I explained to somebody just the other day, the law was something until a certain date. Um, I I don't necessarily um, need to identify the date. Um, and if I say, you know, yesterday that was true, you know, or last year that was true. It doesn't mean it was only last year. It just means now it's going to be different. Right. That, that, that's one of the possibilities, that it was already specific then, and Pharaoh, or let's be 
clear, like the Torah puts into Pharaoh's mouth, a usage which is almost certainly idiomatic here, because it doesn't make sense for us to imagine that the specific content that Pharaoh is communicating to the taskmasters to do the Israelites is, you know, it's, it's today's a Thursday. We're no longer doing it like Tuesday and Wednesday. It, it, it wouldn't make sense. We're no longer doing it as it, as it had been. So the question is, was it already the case back then that Tmol Shilshom meant both the, the, the previous two days and an indiscriminate or indef, indef, undefined past tense? And, and, and we, we, we don't know, but we know what Rashi thinks. Rashi thinks that back then it already meant something specific, which is why he had to tell us it's not that usage. It's the more general usage. Yeah. Uh, Renee, is your hand up? Oh, no. Your hand was up, but you're not asking to speak. Uh, okay. Anyone else on that? Okay, Rick, you go from a five-word Rashi to a one-word Rashi. But there's a lot being said in this one-word Rashi. So, on Veliketu. Or Velaktu. Is, is uh, yours pointed as Veliketu? Um, yeah, I have a dot. Interesting. So, yeah. the only difference is if mine is pointed Velaktu, which is Pa'al, like Katvu, Amru, uh, past tense of a Pa'al, the Liketu would be P'l, Dibru, um, you know, um, other P'l verbs, Sichaku. So P'l is usually an intensive of the verb um, from the Pa'al. Either way, what's the root Lamed Kuftet mean? Um, uh, gather. Together, like the mitzvah of Leket, one of the three mitzvot uh, that uh, farmers are obligated for the betterment of the indigent population. Yeah. That you have to leave things. The Leket uh, lot to Leket. Uh, that, that, that's a laner for you. That's wonderful that you could just pick, pick, <coughs> parshat, um, and more. Wonderful. That's a yant of laning, right? So let me ask Rick and everyone. The easiest and the hardest Rashi's are the one-word Rashi's, right? The easiest is we're done. Ah, he's saying it means and they and they gathered, but but it's the hardest because that can't be all that he's doing, or it's unlikely is all he's doing. So we always have to think what what is he disabusing us of? What's the hava amina, the thing I would have said, such that he had to say this word, and now that he said this word, we no longer think what we would have thought. What what is he accomplishing in the word? in saying that, how should we translate the Koshishu Velaktu? Sometimes, and I don't think it's the case here, sometimes he's just vocab. He's thinking, you reader may not know what this word means. I'm going to define it for you. Something tells me this is not pure vocab, but something a little more subtle. Anybody have an idea? No? No. So... Let me show you a couple of possibilities for what you got. You got Leonard and Joanna now. Oh, Leonard and Joanna. And then I'll, I'll bring up some uh, comment, super commentaries on the page. Leonard, Rebecca. Yeah, I was going to say maybe it, it gives more strength to the, the gathering straw activity, that that's a whole activity unto itself. It's not just that they'll go and gather straw, that that's kind of incidental. The whole gathering of the straw um, is uh, emphasized. Perhaps. Uh-huh. So, so if kosher shu means lakatu, then the gathering is emphasized. But, but just to push back, if I, the reader, know that that le means to gather, then I then it's already been in, already been 
reinforced and highlighted. How does your translating it into a synonym, Rashi, help? Because it's not that the, the Torah didn't say Balaktu, the Torah said Bakoshishu. How does this, if it's a pure synonym, help me fashion the story differently in my mind, right? So, and, and by the way, what, what I think Rashi is doing here may not be what Rashi is doing here, but I'm moved by the super commentaries that we'll bring out to the page. Uh, Joanna, what do you think? I wonder if there's a play here on the word cachet, that it's also implying that it's going to make it more difficult for them. Are you saying that that's why the word kashashu is used, or are you saying that's what Rashi means when he says the laktu? I think the word leket is more common, that shorash is more common. So why use a less common shorash? Because it's creating a play on words. I see. So Rashi is really saying a lot in one word. Reader, what this word means is laktu, and what you should intuit from my telling you means laktu is that they must have used kashashu for a reason, and the reason is a play on kashet. Interesting. I never thought about that. Um, something tells me Rashi would have spun that, spelled it out a little bit if that's where his intention, but who knows? We can interview Rashi and ask him. Um, let me share you with you what, what one super commentary says on this. Okay, so here's our verse. Here's the Rashi, Akasha Shuvalaktu. And this is the um, commentary on the Rashi by the Mizrahi one of the super commentaries on Rashi. And he says, meaning the, this is the, where my cursor is, is the quote from the Torah, Vlaktu is Rashi. I'm not sure exactly what that means. So go to the second part, it says, it doesn't make sense, Mizrahi saying, that the that the translation of the word kashashu, despite the fact that the word kashashu has the word kash in it, straw, so Mizrahi thinks it's connected to straw, kash, not kashe, hard, means that kashashu only means to gather a straw, meaning that it's only kash mitevin, velom inyan leket, and that it's a double negative. It doesn't make sense to say that the word lekoshesh does not mean also general gathering, the haraya and the proof, mi mikoshesh etzim. From the verse that we looked at, I think last week, that later on the Torah, um, as I think Stevie brought up last week, there's a reference to the person who is out there being mikoshesh etzim, gathering trees on Shabbat, and he is, um, he is, he is um, not treated nicely as a result of that. But od, and more, furthermore, im perush kash, mi'inyan tevin, and even he's being a little bit um, like uh, terse in his words. If the only translation of the of the of the word um, kash here, meaning the verb lekoshesh, is to gather tevin, meaning if that's what it means by definition, matam letevin. Why uh, do we have in the verse kosheshu lahem tevin? Because if kosheish is a specific verb that means to do one and only one thing, to gather straw, then you don't need the straw in the phrase because it's implied. I, I think Mizrahi is working a little bit too hard here, but, but I think the gist of what he's saying is what Rashi is doing by telling us that kosheshu means lakatu is telling us that despite the fact that in the word lakoshesh, you have the word kash, which is a synonym for teven, don't think that that's the only way you can use the word kosheish that it just means to gather. 
including gathering cash, but not explicitly or only exclusively gathering cash. It just means the lack too. I think he's generalizing uh, the word similar to what Joanna said, but not because of the word kasheh, but, be, but because of uh, the word kash. And he's going in a slightly different direction, whereas Joanna's point was by translating it as the laktu, Rashi is emphasizing that the word kosheshu is chosen for a specific reason, the hint of the word kasheh, which I, by the way, I think is a lovely shot read of yours, Joanna. And the way the Mizrahi is reading it is saying oh, that don't read the kashashu as a play on words. It's just the word meaning together. Now, according to Mizrahi's read of Rashi, Rashi's read does not help us with a story, right? This is not an emphasis. This is not trying to have us imagine the story differently. This is a, a clarification of what words do or do not mean. And occasionally Rashi will do that. And of course, Mizrahi may not be right. But I wanted to share with you that super commentary. Uh, I see Renee's hand up and then Joanna's hand up again. I don't know if it's still up or up again. So I agree with Joanna, but also, um, interestingly enough, Saperstein has a uh, footnote mm-hmm. on that and, and says, similar to what you were just reading, that since the word kash, the kashashu resembles the word kash, straw, one might think that the verb is derived from the noun. Mm-hmm. Rashi teaches that just the opposite is true. Kash is derived from kashash, for straw is something which must be gathered. And that's mm. from the Sefer Zikaron. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. That one step further. That mm-hmm. it's not, that's, that's really, that's fascinating. Don't think, reader, that Likoshesh is from Kash. Kash is from Likoshesh. The reason why the thing you know of as Kash is called Kash is because it's often Mikushash. It's often gathered. But the verb Likoshesh means something much, much more generic. That's an interesting read. Um, while we, I hear Tova's comment, I'll pull up BDB and see if there's anything in there in terms of the actual etymology of the word, which I've forgotten to afterwards. Tova? Uh, well, I feel like I'm stepping back a little bit from the discussion, but uh, okay. uh, just going back to um, the discussion about Kidmol uh, Shilshom, uh, um, I, I think it's stretching it, but it just immediately came into my mind because I can't think of any other language that I know where we have that specificity of yesterday, the day before, or tomorrow, the day after, uh, and that that kind of hyper-awareness of linear time um, made me think of Thomas Cahill's book, The Gift of the Jews, where what he suggests one of the gifts of the Jewish people to civilization was stepping outside of, though we still have it, but stepping outside of that sort of repetitive circular ceremonial time and establishing linear chronological historical time, that that was a different way of thinking about the world mm. and uh, points to that, that, that the Torah was assembled in such a way that it's chronological compared to the Quran, for example, which is deliberately unchronological. Uh, so it, that's that we have language that's so specific just resonated to me of that notion, which I found interesting. Hmm. That's, so. that, that is interesting. Thank you. Um, I'm glad you brought us back there. Let me then jump forward again and show you what BDB says, because this is a really interesting, very nerdy and picayune, but interesting machloket about kash, kashe, kashash, and the relationships between them. So... This is BDB again, the, the Brown Driver Briggs 
biblical dictionary. So first, kashash. I forgot about this one. And we, I think we mentioned this very briefly last time that the, what the first definition of kashash in biblical Hebrew is to be old and dried up. And maybe that's why um, kash is from kashash because it's old and dried up straw as opposed to verdant uh, wheat stalks that are still in the, in the ground, right? Like the place in, in Jerusalem, Yad Lekashish, that we spoke of last time. So in this first definition, he doesn't say anything about um, the verb kashash, meaning to gather. He does have the noun that comes from it, stubble or chaff. There's our word stubble, estuble, um, meaning BDB thinks that the reason why one of the words for, um, um, for straw is kash, including, look, he gives our connection here, is because of the root kashash, meaning old and dried up, not gathering. But then he gives us another possibility that with underneath that, there's the verb kashash, not meaning to get old, but to gather stubble. And then he gives us our exact verse, the koshashu lehem tevin, that they should gather as stubble for stubble. So he's, the BDB is a little bit um, unclear if the main root here is the notion of something withered or gathering. Um, and here on his second definition of kashash has to gather yourselves, to gather together. So it's, uh, we have to leave it as a teku. And again, it doesn't change so much our understanding of the scene, but it helps us just once again peer into like the, you know, it's like when you're looking at a star, the light from the star, you're looking into the past. It helps us peer into the past as, as sounds formed meaning and formed words. Uh, and we'll never be able to answer it um, with 100% clarity. Okay, letter Rebecca and then Renee, and then we'll move forward. So I was just going to say that my dictionary agrees with Rashi that kash comes from kashash. And it all comes from the word meaning to dry up or to wither. So straw is something that's dried up and withered. And so is an old person. They're all, they're all related to each other. Yeah. Well, except that I'm not sure that that's what Rashi thinks. I think Rashi thinks that kashash just means to gather, which is why he's translated that way. But, but we've had several possibilities as to what, why Rashi's saying what he's saying. But I hear the point about the dictionary, that it's, it's, he's more connected to the first one of the BDB definitions of to dry up and wither. Good. Okay. Uh, that concludes verse seven. Well done, everybody. Let's go to ver. Oh, Barbara, welcome back, Barbara. How are you? Fine. Um, I I just wanted to throw in what I learned from um, Derek last week, and which fits this. I just was thinking it it fits this with what you were showing with the definitions. Tevin is wheat that's that's green still is is growing and alive. Whereas kosh is dried straw. I just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, in I remember you learned this in school. Yeah. So, 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 which, which, what? So, Tevin is is green and and a lot and more alive, and kosh is the dried out one. Yeah, right. And kashit is the straw that you drink out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in modern Hebrew, it's mostly kosh, not kashit. I was probably kashit might be like the the word in the dictionary, I've never heard an Israeli refer to a kashit when asking for a straw at a restaurant, but 
Um, there are lots of words that are in the category Ivrit Shal Shabbat, right? The, you know, the formal words that would be spoken around a Shabbat table as opposed to colloquial Hebrew. Um, but that's interesting. I'll ask, I have to ask my Israeli cousins about Kashit the next time I see them. Uh, Renee, your hands up again. You, since you're talking about different types of Hebrew, I'm thinking of, you know, there's, there's a, um, expression people say when you, kash, that it's not, if that, if that translation of it plays into this at all. What does that idiom mean? Like, like, um, difficulty. Difficulty. To, 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 like yeah, but not literally, lechol, not literally yeah. to eat, but just like going through some kind of, uh, a difficult uh, uh, situation. Huh. Yeah, I, I, it, it kind of makes sense in my mind how that could be, like e- eating like the lowest, you know, the lowest, most, you know, unsatisfying food could be um, a metaphor for that. But idi- idioms are wonderful because they, you know, they, they started somewhere. They all have a an origin point, right? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, maybe it's because straw is, you know, dry and brittle. So when you're doing, you know, give, going through something difficult and hard, it's also riddle. Yeah. Like this. No. yeah. Great. Just a thought. Okay. Let's go to the next verse. Larry and Diane, are you, are you not on the screen? Are you available to read the next verse or are you out somewhere? We're, we're on the way to the airport, taking me to the airport to go see my mom in Seattle. Oh, <laughs> safe, safe travel. So I will not call on you to read the next verse. Thank uh, you. Uh, let's see. You haven't heard from Sue yet today. Sue, do you mind to read verse eight? Yes. Verse eight in the, in the regular, in the, in the Torah. In the Torah. And, <laughs> and, and this will actually be a particularly appropriate verse for you to read and translate as we'll see in a second. Okay. Ve'et mat kenet. Mat konet. Mat konet. I don't know. Ve'et mat konet. Alvenim Asher Emosim Tmol Shilshom Tasimu Tasimu Alem Lo Tigra Umimenu Ki Nirpim Tiki Nirpim Hem Al Kain Hem Tsoakim Lemor Nalcha Nizbacha this is funny. Nalcha nizbacha lelohenu. Nelcha, not nalcha. Nelcha. Yeah. All right. Nelcha. Matkonet. You know. You know the word matkonet. Matkonet. You is it, do, uh, like sipure something. Matkonet. You does, does a bishul bachutz. Oh, like a matkon. Okay, thank you. <laughs> it's like a recipe. <laughs> right. So in modern Hebrew, a matkon is a recipe. A recipe. The question is, why is it a recipe? What's the word hanging out or or in the middle of? It's preparation. It's a uh, t- yes. It's, it's it's interesting. It's another another thing we have to do some guess at. Either it's like kavana lihit uh, koning to prepare. Or tochen. What's tochen? Content. Content, right? So it's unclear to me if the modern Hebrew word matkon, which is a recipe, and this biblical word matkonet is from a, the, the kaf vav nun root, meaning to intend, or the taf kaf nun root, which means to prepare. Um, to prepare or the contents of something. 
What, what but, about tikkun for, to fix something? That's the kuf. 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 Yeah. Uh, interesting homophone or, or, or uh, evocative, but a, a totally different route. Yeah. So given that, how, what do you think the phrase, Sue, means? I think it means the prepper, the, it almost means them both. I mean, they're not that different. Matkonet and tochen, like tchina, like the preparation and the contents of the preparation. That's kind of one thing. It's kind of brilliant that that's one word. So choose about. one of them and try to translate through to get a sense of what this verse is, is conveying. Like, so, so what we know is that the tone of the verse is that Pharaoh okay. is once again articulating how he's about to make it harder on the Israelites. Okay. So, okay. so I think it's the preparation. I think it's the mix, the mixing of the straw and the mud and the schlep and the, the schlepping comes in a second, but I think it's the stirring and the mixing and the heavy tools and all of that. So now, so now put that in and translate the verse. Okay. So the preparation of the, of these bricks, this sludge, it must be bricks, right? Yeah. Um, that that they make yesterday and the day before to see more lamb. Put put that on them. Put put right. it on. Put it on their. Put it on them. Right. Lo lo tigreumi menu. Um. What does garua mean? Gimel reish ayin. Make it worse. Right, but but worse in I would translate it as less. To make it let yeah. don't make it less. Yeah, and don't lighten it. Don't lighten their load. Oh, look, okay. In 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 modern Hebrew, garua means awful, but it has to do with a lessening, and we have that in Parshat um, Pinchas regarding the the um, you know h- how how allotments of land are going to be. Um, increased or decreased based on marriages between the tribes. Okay. It seems funny though, because I think, you know, it seems like not a lessening, but, um, but a mooring. I know. Um, uh, we have it in the wonderful story of Benot Slochad, when, when the daughters of Slochad, those five daughters who petitioned Moshe for land because their father died without male heirs, they basically say, why should our portion, Yigareya, be, oh, I remember be, be, that. be reduced? Simply because dad only had daughters. Okay. Okay. And if so you look quickly, okay, I get it. Look, look quickly at the uncleus. Um, look at the third. Well, mm-hmm. we might be looking at different ones. Um, uh, la timnuun mine. So uncleus translates garua gimel resh ayin to mem nan nun ayin, which means to prevent, to hold back. So don't hold back from them. Don't make it less than for them okay key because they're napping they're what napping <laughs> tell me that's interesting why did you translate it that way it's because i don't know it sounds it sounds like something that i hear in my life <laughs> but is that a phrase that you is that a word you know yes. in Hebrew? and and when someone says someone is near pa they're napping Yes. I did yeah. not know that. That's great. That's really great <laughs> considering what we're about to try to explore. What do you think the three-letter root of Nirpim is? Uh, it sounds like 
If there were an Aleph in there, it'd be Rufuah. But if, if without the Aleph, it's it's probably Resh Pei Hei, where the Hei is dropped off. And Rafe means soft or oh. lax, right? There's there sometimes we talk about certain vowel sounds that are Rafe rather than the harder ones, right? So um it's interesting. I never knew that your pet is someone who's napping. Uh, maybe the jump is from softness to laziness to napping, but something like. Oh, I'll have to find out exactly why that sounds like that to me, but my human, my human speaker is not here. <laughs> okay. Something like that. Yeah. So I came more than they're, they, um, and they are, they are uh, yelling um, saying that they want to go and um, set, make sacrifices to their God. Good. Okay. Um, and the, I think the alcane is significant um, because the alcane is a therefore, right? So whatever key near Pim means, it's turning into, since they are near Pim, they have that's time the to, reason. Right. Right. So yeah. That's the reason why they're shouting out saying, hey, we need to go daven to our God. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, can we go well, back a second? Because that was a little choppy, so I need—I didn't really get get exactly what I just said. You want okay. to say, try to say it one more time? I I do because I was piecing it together. So they were preparing and stirring and sludging and you know all the stuff that they have to do to make the bricks. Um, uh, yesterday and the day before, put put all of it on them. They and don't le- lessen the load because they have time because they are they have enough time really to to fetch and yell and say they want to go sacrifice their god that's that's a very good um um non-literal translation paraphrase. paraphrase thank you thank you i want to point out one or uh or two things in the in the unculus and then hear from tova so that word makonet is a content or is a preparation he turns the Uncle turns it into the word schum. What does schum mean? Schum. Uh, like a, a, a schum. Anyone know what a schum is? Isn't it a payment? Uh, yeah, but, but why is it a payment? Total. Um, What's that? Total. Total or amount, right? So um, Uncle says that Matkonet has does not have to do, not that you're wrong, Sue, Uncle has his own opinion. I could not be wrong. Not, not to do with the preparation and not even about the content, it's amount. We're talking about that what Pharaoh, according to Uncle, what Pharaoh is saying, the same amount that they had been asked to produce even before they were asked to make their own, gather their own straw, don't pull back from that. Your, your uh, allotment was 100 you know, bricks a day when you were being given the material. Well, now you have to gather your own material. Guess what your allotment is? 100. Now, you could go Sue's route. That way, that formula, that recipe you've been using when you, ha- when, when you uh, did not have to produce your own straw, that was a very complex recipe. Now that you are, have to spend some time collecting your own straw, you've still got to do it the exact same way. And we're not going to reduce the quality of it. Right? According to Unculus, it's quantity, not quality. One more thing. Look at Unculus on Nirpim. Are batlanin inun. They are batlanin. What does it mean to be a batlan? A lazy head. 
so, you know, someone who's idle, someone who's doing nothing. That is not, from my perspective, a translation from Hebrew to Aramaic. That's Onkelos as subtle commentator. It's not what the word Rafa means. Let me show you BDB on Rafa, and then I'm sorry, we will get to um, we will get to Tova. Rafa, lots of possibilities. Sink or relax. Interestingly, there's an Arab, uh, Arabic word, rafahat, meaning an easy life, like a life of idleness. It can mean to sink down, sink decline. It can mean to sink or drop. It can mean, number three, to relax or abate. And relax and withdraw when it's with a mean, when it's with a from, that it will, it will, it will to, to withdraw from something. And in, in Nifal, which is where we are, right? Because Nifal means like, like something happening to them, right? That, that uh, they have been made to be withdrawn. It's translated, according to him, in our usage, idle, right? not doing something. But there is an implied from, which is going to help us uh, understand Rashi. Because if, if, if it was saying, Haim Rafim, it would be they are constitutionally lazy or soft. But near Pim is begging a mean. They are, they are idle from what? There's, there's an implied from. Okay. Um, Tova. Can't hear you yet, Tova. I was actually going to say something very similar to what you did. So what I'll say is I, I think that inherent in the, or we can see in the word matkonet, both things that it is a recipe is both the content the uh, the the amounts that you need and what you, how you prepare them yeah. and so it's saying they're going to be required to have the same amount of brick and they also have to prepare it in the same way not with less stubble or no stubble but with the same and so you can actually have both of those meanings uh very nicely reflected in the modern hebrew word recipe uh, I also wanted to uh, comment that I've several times over the past verses uh, come back to the notion that in addition to the Pharaoh being, or maybe even more than the Pharaoh being concerned about the loss of the, of the product of the people's work, he's concerned about controlling the people. And it seems very clear here that he's making this connection that they're not working hard enough. They're getting out of hand. Uh, they're stirring up trouble and therefore we need to harden their labor to control them. Great. Thanks for both of those points. I, li- I like yeah. the doubling of, of, of how recipe combines amount and, 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 and process. Great. Barry. I'll have the word quota. So uh, to main, to main them, to maintain the same quota, they're going to have to work harder and faster. Yeah, exactly. And quota is a great translation into English of the Aramaic Uncleus uses for schum, and it's also the same word that Rosh is going to use. J- um, Everett Fox translates it as measure, measure as an amount, right? The same amount that you were required. But quota is, 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 the, is the absolutely precise English word there. Uh, Carol? If you'd permit me to share for a moment from uh, a Haggadah that I grew up with. Sure. Uh, my family and our whole neighborhood use a Haggadah from 
somewhere in Chicago or, or Skokie, Illinois, that was from a Reconstructionist synagogue. And until I hit Hebrew High, I thought this is what all Haggadot were like. Um, <laughs> and so we would read it in English, and it says that the Pharaoh would fool the Israelites into working harder and harder. He would gather all of them together and say, I am going to work along with you today. Show me how well you can do. This will be a personal favor from you to me. And he would take a shovel and begin to make bricks. All the Israelites would follow him at once. They would work all day as hard as they could. Pharaoh would have his captains count the number of bricks the Israelites had made, and then he would issue an order. I demand that the Israelites make each day the same number of bricks which they made today. In this way, he would trick them into working harder and faster. Wow. I have wow. no idea. The, 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 you know, the source of the material was never given to us. <laughs> and it's, it was, not, it's not footnoted in there? No, it was a complete shock arriving at Hebrew High School. <laughs> I've heard that one in the past also. Really? That, that is a wicked, a wicked, a wickedly clever and a cleverly wicked um, ruse, right? To, 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 make the stand, to make the standard be that, that how hard you would work if, you were, if I were watching you every minute. I mean, we could really relate to it because, you know, you, the kids, we all work harder if parents or teachers are walking or working. So, I mean, as a child, it was very relatable, yeah. but I was amazed at sort of the liberty they took in this Haggadah until, uh, until Joel Rembaum and Elliot Dorff were sort of going over the, re- the real deal with us. Right, <laughs> we you came were home really... and said to our parents, where did you get this from? You, know? <laughs> you were really slumming it when it came to Hebrew high teachers. <laughs> you, had, you had Dorf and Rembaum. Um, once again, that reading is evocative of that terrible scene in Schindler's List, where where Goethe requires the Jew to, you know, say how if that's how quickly you could make this pot, how come how come your your quota is only this much today? It's it's uh, it's, it's wicked. Um, great. I mean, not great, but moving on. Uh, anything else on the verse itself before we look at the Rashi? Rashi is going to do something in reverse order here. The, the, um, um, he's going to, even if you just look at the Dibureh HaMachil, the beginnings of the words, he's going to first tell us about like story and then go back and tell us about the meanings of words. So he will weigh in on what he thinks Nirpim means, but he's not going to weigh in on the etymology of it until later on in the comment. And we may or may not get to it today, but if we we'll get to it today, we'll get to it tomorrow. Rick? Uh, hi. Before we go, um, it's not a trope thing, but um, the word haim is all over the place. They they should go. They should do this. But when it comes down to the end, he doesn't say, let us go worship uh, their God. Um, he quotes them, our God. It could have been lelo uh, hey, or right? So... Um, I just thought it was interesting that um, uh, he's, he's, he quotes them, let us go worship our God when he was saying they, 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 presumably to his court, to the taskmasters. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the, I think the, the way you would um, punctuate that verse is that he puts, after the word lemor, quotation marks. They say, quote, in which case Pharaoh is speaking in their voice. And that's a, that's, that's a choice. And of course, that's a choice of the Torah to put that in Pharaoh's voice, to put that in their voice. Yeah. 
So you're saying it, you're saying that it's an interesting context between they and then and then our. Yeah, well, he he, he could have said it. Um, um, they want to go worship their god, but but he's quoting them directly. I don't know. It, it just seems off where he's saying they should do this. I mean, if you see all the the times the the word Ham is there in the last couple sentences, you would have expected the Ham to Akim lay more. You know. Um, uh, uh, you know, yeah, something, yeah, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, um, okay, uh, Sue, you're up for the Rashi on Makonet Halavenim. And the first thing Rashi does, just to give away the story a bit, is to go the route of Uncleus and weigh in on what he thinks Makonet means. Okay, Makonet Halavenim. סכום חשבון הלבנים שהיה כל אחד עושה ליום כשהיה התבן ניתן להם אותו סכום תשימו עליה אותו סכום תשימו עליהם גם אתה he says the it's the amount he says it's the amount of the it's the amount of the the bricks what they're actually producing that that everybody made every day that everybody made per day and that the when they got the straw. Right, so the same amount that they had been producing when they were given the basic ingredients. Oh, right. toast boom. The, to- the total, the same, the same amount. That very same amount. You shall put on them um, that they were making. Yes. Oh, no. You should put on them now also. Right. Why? So that there'll be more, that, so that it'll be heavier work. Right. So what Rashi says is that the best way to understand it as being it, it, it's being worse for the Israelites is to understand it as an amount, right? Because the easiest thing. Sorry. It's okay. The, e- the easiest thing that you can do to make it harder for your workers is to make the job harder and require the same amount of pr- production. Right. So um, and so he's made the job harder by, by giving them more work to do but he has specifically not lowered the quantity of the production. So Rashi is not going quality. Rashi is going quantity because according to Rashi, that's going to be the, the most insidious way for Pharaoh to be machbid or uh, to make the work even more kabed, more heavy, more onerous upon them. Okay. Um, and he's obviously knows Uncleus. He doesn't say, he doesn't refer to Uncleus, but it's not a coincidence to me that he uses the word schum in his commentary because that's the word that Uncle is used to translate Marconet. He actually uses two words, schum cheshbon. So I wonder if it like combines what Barry was saying. It's like it's the it's the it's the quota of the amount of the bricks. It's a little bit redundant. You don't need both. Maybe he's using schum as a hint towards Uncleus. Okay, so that's his weighing in on Marconet halvenim. Uh, now. Um, on Kinyar Pim, just notice that he says that is it two Debor? Yeah, he has he has a Debor Amachil Kinyar Pim, and then later down he has a Debor Amachil Mir Pim. 
So the first thing Rashi is going to go to is the question of the form of the verb near pim in a nifal, which, as we said before, is begging a, a from, begging a mean, which is not there. And then he's going to go back. We probably will get this next week on the word itself. So on ki near pim. Ki near pim min ha'avodahim lekach libam pone al ha'batala. Um, is that still the same? Do that piece you just read. That first piece. Yeah. Um, that they're, they're, uh, they're, they're idle from the work, from their work. Right. And therefore their heart, their hearts and their hearts, they turn to Habatala, to the Habatala, like the Vatel, like the canceling. Yeah, it's like when you have nothing to do, your mind wanders to all sorts of fanciful things. You know, it's, it's, we actually miss that in our society because we're always doing something, right? We're never, when was the last time we just, we just walk and we're not checking our phone. And when, when, when you're, when you're idle, your mind actually goes to interesting places. Pharaoh, it's such an interesting, um, it's such an interesting, like read of what of what freedom is to to, to Pharaoh. If you're if you're not doing something, you're idle, and therefore you're going to create all sorts of pretenses to get out of your situation because that's what a tyrant a tyrant doesn't want his people to be idle. But freedom means being idle so that your mind can wander. But he's saying their minds are wandering since they are not since they are lazy bums and not doing their work. They're sitting there saying, hmm. What else could I be doing? I, I could go to the mountain and pray to God. It's if he's saying they wouldn't have the earth, it would never occur to them, which he's right. It would never occur to them to dream of and fantasize about praying to their God if they were so forced and so focused on their work. And that's true, right? Like the, 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 the notion of having the freedom to just um, daydream, right? He doesn't want them to have the freedom to daydream. He wants them to be crushingly focused on their work. But because they're near Pim, they are um, kind of constitutionally idling or idled from their work. They develop all these fantasies. And now they're shouting out, I need to go pray to God. Terrible if you're a tyrant. Right. And and it's the very reason why schools should do more recess. Right. What's um, I think is it Finland, one of the Scandinavian countries has a schedule in elementary school that every hour of school is something like 40 minutes of class, 20 minutes of recess, 40 minutes of class, 20 minutes of recess, because I understand that that idleness, thank you, Tova, which according to a Puritan uh, understanding of the world is leading to de- the devil. It's that idleness that allows, allows the brain to, to grow and to, and to foment ideas and to expand. Right? So if you want your subjects to grow and become themselves, Give them some regular idleness. Allow them to be near peem, but it's not a critique. If you're a tyrant or you're a Puritan or you're a taskmaster, it's the last thing you want. They're going to they're gonna think all these thoughts you don't want them to think. Barry? Well, uh, going back to the, um, the translation you, sh- you showed us previously, near peem mean is, is a, a withdraw, is withdrawing from. And my translation uses the word uh, disengage. 
Mm. Um, so the, it, it, as, a, as a result of the, what causes them to be disengaged is the, uh, the knowledge that there is a God that is stepping into this process, that this is what Moshe's message has been. And, and the result of them being disengaged is that, that they're not as uh, uh, focused on their work as previous because they've got something else going on in their minds. Correct. Correct. And, and uh, I'm going to pull up the verse that um, Tova made reference to, so we can all see it in, uh, in its context. It's that, that verse is, is, a, is a biblical verse. It's, it's from the book of Mishlei, from the book of Proverbs. I think it's chapter 16. Uh, let me find it. So that it, it is a biblical idea that too much idleness can be disastrous. Where is it here? What, what, what may appear to be idleness is actually uh, activity, uh, it, the mental activity, spiritual activity, which causes one to withdraw from focus on work. Right. Um, I can't find that verse. I don't want to waste too much time. Uh, maybe I'll find out for next week, the exact Hebrew verse, because it'd be interesting to look at it. Um, because here, that notion that the idleness allows you to, to um, allows you to, you know, dream about things is in the, is in the mouth of a tyrant. In the book of Proverbs, that notion is thought of as, you know, the proper wisdom with which to uh, inculcate a society. So that's the first thing that Rashi says, and he's building it from the fact that the near Pim 1627, Leonard, I was looking at that. But I don't see that unless unless that is a very um, um, weak paraphrase. That's the that, that's where I thought it was. So verse 1627, Ish Blial is someone who has no, no morals, someone who's morally vacuous, like a scoundrel kore kind of heaps up ra evil. Bial Svatav Sarevet. Um and and on his lips is like a a, a very a scorching fire. But that's not that. Uh, there's no way to turn that into a idle hands or a devil's workshop. So there must be a different enumeration of um, proverbs that has it somewhere else. We'll have to do that. Look at that next time. Twenty-seven through twenty-nine is the reference. Yeah, but it's not there. Sure, it's sixteen. Anyway, I don't want to waste time on it, uh, but I'll, I'll try to find it for next time. So that's Rashi on Nirpim. Let's do one more on. Um, uh, this is going to take some time. Uh, Let's call it here because the next Rashi is going to have us uh, pull up several different verses. He's now going to get to the thing that we started with, which is how he knows the word matkonet means matkonet, and he's going to bring several biblical verses to prove the point. So let's uh, end it here. Uh, I owe you two minutes of... Rabbi? Yes. Uh, I'm stopped at a red light, so I just put on the uh, unmute. I'm wondering if this idea of idleness and productive idleness, if you might want to say anything, and you might not, about... Prayer and meditation, which I know you take very seriously. I often feel that when we're involved in tefillah, the tefillah is so full um, that we really don't have a chance to reflect at all. And that has to be then done at another time. I know that there are certain spaces where you can add your own prayers, etc. But we lack in tefillah this idea of 
allowing your mind to productive to be productively idle. Yeah. It's a great comment, and it definitely goes to the tension that I experience and that the Jews have written about their experience for 2,000 years, which is the tension in prayer between articulating sounds and getting into a spiritual zone. And sometimes too much empty space means that your mind is not thinking about God, but thinking about the game, right? So that the matbea, the coined liturgy, Right, the word matbea for what the liturgy requires of us is the same word as a coin, like something that's been that's been um, regulated is helpful because it makes it makes us say these words and not idle words. But too much of that means there's not enough time for the idle fantasizing. So in your comment about prayer, you actually have the machloket intra-biblically between uh, the prover- the proverbial proverb of too much free time and the devil will capture it versus what kind of person would make that accusation? A pharaoh, right? Only a pharaoh. So th- there's, there's, there's both of those going on in that notion. So I appreciate, the, I appreciate that uh, question, particularly when it comes to prayer. Leonard, Rebecca, last comment? Yeah, so the same place that told me that it was a proverb 1627 also says that the proverb idle hands or the devil's worship is ascribed to the Bible. However, the phrase is not found anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The earliest known iteration is in the writings of St. Jerome in the fourth century. Engage in some occupation so that the devil may always find you busy. Wow. Um, Yeah, just Google says that the King James translation is an ungodly man diggeth up evil and is lips uh there is as a burning fire but the living bible of 1971 translates idle hands are the devil's workshop idle lips are his mouthpiece that's that's fascinating hold on one second come in um so uh that's fascinating that that like a, a phrase that has become so known was was injected into the understanding of the bible by by a particular translator and it's become it's become, you know, just a known thing that the Bible said that, but apparently didn't. Even I thought that. So that's, that's, that can happen. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA.com. LA.org.